turn in your Bibles tonight to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 is part of this letter, which was written by the Apostle Paul while he was incarcerated in Rome. And what is striking about this letter is that he shows how happy and joyful and content he is while he is incarcerated and waiting trial for a capital crime. The text for the sermon tonight is found in Philippians 4, verse 13. And we're going to read the entire chapter at this time. Notice the happy and joyful way with which Paul is coming towards the end of this letter. In verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And then he has to deal with some ladies who are disagreeing. He says, I entreat Eodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. And isn't it marvelous that that's where our names are too, beloved? And then he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And then the Apostle Paul sort of has a thank you note here at the end. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then we have our text. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply your every need of yours according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Read every saint in Christ Jesus, 
the brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Christians, do you even realize how strong you are? I'm not sure that we do. Do you even realize that you are strong? If we have, you have the mighty spirit of Jesus Christ indwelling you, what strength is available? This week, as you go through the trials of life and the struggles of life, remember that you have an invisible source of power. All experience this spiritual undergirding, this strength, this empowering, as he was incarcerated in Rome. Even though he probably did not have the best food, probably didn't have all the comforts of life that you and I enjoy, Maybe he couldn't even sleep so well. Even though his body perhaps was weak, he was suffused and filled with the power of Christ. Jesus Christ provides inner powerful strength for us. The Bible everywhere talks about that. Listen to this encouraging word from Isaiah 40. There God said, Isaiah says, he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The Apostle Paul experienced this in his life, even in difficult times. Remember how famously he had a thorn in the flesh. Some type of very painful physical infirmity, which we're not told what it was. And he prayed three times, God, please take it away. And what was God's response? His response was one that the health wealth gospel doesn't like. The purveyors of the health wealth gospel don't like that story because God says, no. He says, I'm not going to take it away. He says, but he says, my, my grace is sufficient for you. That is, God's grace would empower him, uphold him, strengthen him in the midst of having that painful thorn in the flesh. But guess what? The Apostle Paul recognizes that God's grace is more than sufficient. He also says this in his letter to the Ephesians. He says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. God not only upholds us, but he also powerful grace at work in our lives so that we can seek first his kingdom, so that we can fight against sin, so that we can be faithful. Paul is teaching us that Christ's power in us is sufficient for us to deal with whatever we face in this coming week. The title of my sermon is The Christian's Personal Strength in All Things. We'll talk about the meaning of that the source of that strength, and then finally, the result of having that strength. Now, in our ESV translation, our text begins, this is Philippians 4, verse 13, it begins, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. 
The word can in the Greek is actually a stronger word. It's a word that many other times would be translated as strength. So what's kind of funny here is that our translation actually has the words strength at the end, doesn't it? We'll see that there's actually a different word used there, a word that's not normally translated as strength. But at the very beginning where it says, I can do, literally it says, I have strength. Now the littlest kid here knows what strength is. How strong are you? How big are your muscles? When was the last time some of you boys were caught showing your muscles off? And some of you girls even. You go like this, you go to your dad and say, look at my muscles. What can you do because you have bigger muscles? You're strong, you have strength. You have the ability to do hard tasks. You have the capacity to withstand something that has great force or pressure. What does it mean you have strength? It means you have, you have endurance. You have stamina. So this was the word that was used in the ancient world to refer to having physical strength. You had big muscles. You were strong. So you can think of how this word is something that describes, for example, a, an arm wrestler like Devin Larratt, the great Canadian arm wrestler, one of the greatest in the world. He has great, powerful strength. He's a big man, six foot five, and when he arm wrestles, his strength is evident, and his opponents, often he often laughs at them even as he brings them down. And he has astonishing endurance, amazing stamina. He can arm wrestle for the longest time. Everybody else gets tired out. That's what strength is, and that's what the Greek word here refers to. Now here, of course, it's referring to spiritual strength, spiritual energy, the ability to do a hard task that God has called you to. For the Apostle Paul, that strength involved the power and ability to preach the gospel in places where he was stoned, where he was beaten, where he faced great opposition, and yet guess what happened? By the powerful strength that he received from God, he went on, he had stamina, he endured. He would get stoned to death, thrown out of a city, stoned to death like a derby, and what would he do? He'd get back up again, and he'd go right back in the city again with the strength God gave him. Now, what's striking here is that Paul even uses the present tense. So you could translate this, I am having strength. Isn't that something? So Paul is emphasizing the fact that the strength that he has is something that's ongoing in the present. Isn't that wonderful for this coming week? We can have ongoing strength that comes from God. Yes, it's true that in ourselves we are still weak. In ourselves we are still strong. In ourselves we have no ability. In, our, in ourselves we have no ability to stand up against people who would shame us for our Christian faith. In ourselves we would collapse. In ourselves we would deny Jesus. In ourselves we would just fall back into the rut of our besetting sins and just stay in that rut. But the good news is that Christ gives to us powerful grace, powerful strength, so that we can fight against sin. So Paul says, I am having strength, he says, in all things. Now, what does he mean here? There are people who are part of what we call the holiness movement, Keswickry, which is over in England. And they hold to what's called the victorious Christian life approach to living the Christian life. And their idea, and it comes out with the phrase, 
let go and let God. You ever heard someone say that? Let go and let God. Well, that's the holiness movement. And their view is this, that what can happen is that at some point in your Christian life, you just exercise faith and you say, I'm going to let go and let God. And from that point in your Christian life, guess what? There's no struggle anymore. It's like you hit warp speed in your spiritual life and suddenly it's easy. And you do what pleases the Lord, what loves your neighbor, and there's no effort involved. And so they go to passages like that and they say, that's what Paul is saying here. I can do all things, everything, easily. Now, there's all kinds of problems with the holiness movement. One, they seem to deny very explicitly that the Christian life is a day of daily repentance, of daily fighting against sin. Martin Luther, for example, in one of the, his famous 95 theses, made the point that the Christian life is a life of daily repentance, a daily fighting against sin, and that's exactly what it is. But what's the good news here? Well, the good news, when Paul says, I can do all things, the point would be is that through the power that is given to us, we can fight daily against sin. We can mortify, that is, kill our old man. We can fight against those sinful desires we have to do the things that are wrong that we know we shouldn't be doing. By the strength that we are given, we can fight against those things. We can fight hard. We can turn from our sin. Other people take passages like this and where it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. They say, well, this, this teaches the health wealth gospel, the prosperity gospel, that if you just you know, believe it strong enough that Christ will, for example, give you perfect health or make you rich, then, then you will become rich and you will be perfectly healthy. Well, of course, uh, according to this gospel, the Apostle Paul should not have been incarcerated. He should not have had a thorn in the flesh, and he should have been rich and not needed to have that love gift from the saints in Philippi. No, the point here would be that even in poverty, even in hardship, there is power. We are having power and strength to deal with those situations. So as the Heidelberg Catechism can say in that beautiful, beautiful Lord's Day about providence, that we can be patient in adversity. And we can have the powerful grace, which we need also, to be thankful in prosperity when things go well. Other people have tried to say, well, this passage is teaching that the Christian can have continual emotional strength, as if the Christian is someone who can always just have a, just a balanced, easy approach in his emotional life. And therefore, if you're a true Christian, you're never going to be depressed. That's, of course, not the point either. David, for example, read this psalm. David always on the height of joy? No, he's not. He's sometimes very, very depressed, and he'll cry out to God with prayers of complaint. And the Apostle Paul talks about some very, very difficult times in his ministry where he, he, was, he was so pressed, and he felt like he was under a sentence of death. And the point here is, rather, that, yes, even when Christians suffer from depression, even then, the power of Christ is at work. Even in the midst of trials like this, there's power that comes from the Spirit so that they can be turned to, begin to hope 
realize that the future does have brightness to it. So the Apostle Paul is talking about spiritual strength here, spiritual strength that enables him to live the Christian life. He is talking about being strengthened in his inner man so that he has power to love God and love the neighbor in whatever situation he is. You see, Christianity is not a religion of carnal strength. Yes, it's true in the Old Testament. The saints used swords. Jael, for example, used a tent, a nail to hammer through Sisera's forehead. We have men like Jamgar the judge who used an ox goad to kill 600 Philistines. Yes, they did use military force. They used swords. But now our weapons and now our strength is spiritual in the New Covenant. Friedrich Nietzsche, who is unfortunately responsible for many of the evils we have in our society, he played a role in the formation of a godless Western culture. He hated Christianity. He said, God is dead. He said that, he said that Christianity is to be despised because Christianity glorifies a servant, glorifies people serving others. He said, Rather, what should be exalted is the uberman, that is the superman, the master class. He says there are certain men who can domineer over others, and then they can do whatever they wish. Whatever, whatever ethics serves their climb to power, they can do. And so he hated Christianity. He hated the message of Jesus as a suffering, sacrificial savior. He said Christianity is a religion for slaves, he said famously. Adolf Hitler picked that up. He thought he was going to be an uberman. He thought he had also a master race in the German people. But now let's, let's pause and let's recognize that in some sense Nietzsche is right. Christianity is a religion that deals with lowliness and service and sacrifice and love and serving the neighbor. It is. But there's more to the story. Yes, it is true that Jesus Christ was crucified in weakness. But guess what? He was raised in power. True that Jesus came to serve. But now, guess what? All authority is given to him in heaven and on earth. He has all authority. He has all power. The Son of God possesses divine power. He has omnipotent power. He is supreme over the kings of the earth. Guess who brought down Adolf Hitler? Who thought he was such an uberman? Christ conquered him. Christ destroyed him. Christ has cast him into hell. Christ has conquered him. So Christianity is a religion of power. It's a religion in which we affirm that Jesus Christ is king. The Chinese government says you may not preach that Christ is coming again to judge the world. Preachers in the three self-churches may not say that, but that's what the Bible teaches. Christ is king. He is supreme over the universe. He will come again. All men will stand before the judgment throne of Christ. Christ then will make a whole new world. He is supreme. He has infinite power. So what does Paul mean then when he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me? What are these all things? Whatever you want to do, whatever you selfishly want to do. No, that's not the point. We have to understand him in context here. 
you have to qualify that by the context here and what's going on in the context. Look at verse 12, for example. He says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. What are the all things? Paul says, I have strength in all things. That is, I have strength when I am hungry. I have strength when I am shipwrecked. I have strength when I'm being beaten 39 times in the synagogue. And I hear the rabbi in the synagogue condemning to me, to, me to hell, basically, and quoting the Pentateuch that talks about how God will put strokes upon men who are wicked. Paul is saying, in those tough situations, when I am based, when I am low, I am having strength, strength to endure, strength to be faithful, strength not to deny Jesus when he is now incarcerated. prisoner, away from family, without decent food probably all the time. He was saying in that context, I am having strength to deal with the situation. Part of that strength is that he doesn't worry. What did he write here? He said, don't worry about anything. I've gotten trouble in the past when I really strongly preached on that passage. And people say, how can that possible be that we won't worry? See, Paul, by the strength given to him, didn't have to worry. And we don't have to worry either. So the all things that he is talking about are all of the difficult situations in. He's also saying, I have strength also when things are going well, too. Strength to be thankful. Strength to be joyful. All things refer to all things that he must do as a holy apostle of Jesus Christ. You also have strength. Christ has given you strength for, for the calling that he has given to you. Christ doesn't call you to be a husband and then hold back and giving you grace to do that. Christ doesn't call you to a specific vocation and then hold back grace. So Paul is saying, I'm having strength as I carry out my apostolic calling, and as I suffer for the cause of God. Now, what's the source of this strength? So, in the Greek text, now, if you want to write down, if you're taking notes, you want to write down what is a literal good translation of this verse. This is what you would write. I am having strength to do all things, in him who empowered me. Say that again. I am having strength to do all things in him who empowered me. That's a literal translation. We're coming now to the, the latter part of this verse where he says, through him who strengthens me. Literally it says, in him who empowers me. Now here's a funny business because we have in our ESV, we have the word strengthen. Like I said, that's actually the word for strength is Technically, the word that's used right at the beginning when it says, I can do. Well, what's the word for strength here? Well, that's the word from which we get dynamite, which is a word that we often translate as power. That's why I say the translation would be, I am having strength to do all things 
in the one who empowers me. Now, if you have a King James Bible in your hand, you will notice that there's actually another word added to the text, and that's because in the majority tradition, the name Christ is included. So in the King James, it says something like this, I have strength for all things in the one who empowers me, Christ. Somehow they put the word Christ in there. Now, the reason for that is that the majority tradition, remember, that was the tradition of the majority of the Greek manuscripts that were passed down through the Middle Ages. And in that, in those readings of the majority tradition, the word Christ is added. But today, most people think that that word Christ is actually inserted by someone. Someone, some along the way, apparently some scribe, some copyist thought he needed to clarify who is being referred to here. I just looked at pin commentaries, and every one of them said, no, the preferred reading is what we basically have in our ESV translation. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In fact, there's something stronger. It's, it's almost a stronger statement by the fact that the word Christ, the title Christ, is not actually in the text. For example, one commentator says, the reference to Christ, it is, is unmistakable, and the omission of the name gives a peculiar point to the startling declaration. So literally what he says, he says, you know, I can do all things through the one who empowers me. It's like Christ has a title. That's a name for Christ. Christ's name is the one who empowers us. The one who says, I have all authority in heaven and earth. The one who is the omnipotent son of God. He is called here the one who empowers us. So we can add that to his titles, to his names as it were. So Paul is saying, I can do all things through this one, Christ. It's Christ, the mighty Savior, who empowers me. Now the word dunamis is a word that refers to power, might, the ability to do something. How is it that you can show forgiving mercy to someone who's wronged you? Well, the ability to act in such a way that you forgive, so the effect is that's produced in life is that, yes, you do forgive the person, that power is something that comes from Christ. Power is the might that produces a change, desired effect. Why, why are all these changes happening in our life? Why are we being sanctified? Why are we being transformed? Why are we being changed to the image of Christ? Well, it's because this power is active in us. Christ is empowering us so that there's a change. What power Christ possesses. He is the one empowering us. Paul says he is the one in whom all things consist. That is, in him, all things in the universe hold together. He is the God of providence. He is also the governor of human history. He is on the throne. He is directing your life and all of human history to bring it to its destination. So Christ possesses power. Also, the verb is in the present, present tense. So Christ is the one who is presently and constantly empowering us. Matthew Henry describes what that means. He says, through Christ who is strengthening me and does continually strengthen me, it is by his constant and renewed strength that I am able to act in everything. I wholly depend upon him for all of my spiritual power. And so notice what Paul is doing here. Yes, he is talking about 
He has strength. He can do all things. But then he transfers the glory for that to Christ. He says, but it's Christ who empowers me. Apart from that, we would be helpless. Weak. Now, there's a little more, too. I discovered that literally what we read in the text is that I can do all things in the one who is, literally, it's like this. It says, in dynamiting me. In dynamite. You have the word for dynamiting, and then you have the word in in front of it, the preposition in. It's kind of like our word for power. We have the word power, and then we say empower. Notice we add an em to the front of it. So what Paul is saying is that Jesus empowers me. He infuses power into me as he sanctifies me. Hendrickson explains that infusing in terms of a fountain, which is appropriate since so much power comes from him. He says, the Lord is for Paul the fountain of wisdom, encouragement, and energy, actually infusing strength into him for every need. And the marvelous thing is that the Apostle Paul is not the only one who can say this. As a Christian, you can also say, I can do all things through Christ who is empowering me. That is our confession, too. You can say that from the heart. Christ is empowering me. That's why this week I can do all things that he calls me to do, and I can fight against sin and carry on the battle of faith. Everywhere the Bible testifies to that. Turn to some other marvelous passages in the Bible that speak about the Christian's power. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6 and look at verse 10. There the Holy Apostle says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Notice that language there. You are to be strong in the Lord this coming week. You are to be strong in the strength of Christ's might. We can't leave church and say we're a bunch of flabby, empty, weak Christians. Yes, it's true in ourselves. Yes, it's true in ourselves. By nature, we're weak and wimpy. But guess what? Through Christ's empowering of us, we have strength and might. Turn to Ephesians 3, back up a few pages, and look at verse 16. He says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Notice the other danger is that we say, well, yeah, I can, I can go and do my work because I am so gifted and I have so many talents and I have so much energy. Notice how Paul wants nothing, none of that, no, no pride in ourselves. Instead, notice we are strengthened with power through the spirit of Jesus Christ. Yes, in our inner being, in our soul, in our heart, we're strengthened by the spirit of Jesus Christ. That's connected to also the preposition that's used in our text where he says, I can do all things literally in him. The, the preposition in is there. Our translation says, I can do all things through him. Literally, it says, I can do all things in the one who empowers me, in relationship to him, united to him, in the sphere of Christ. And the 
point there is it's through the Spirit. It's through our mystical union with Christ. Paul everywhere emphasizes our mystical union with Christ. Through faith, we are united to Christ. He is the head. We are his body. And it's through the Holy Spirit, you see, that we're united to Christ. And the Holy Spirit works in us, in our inner man. Christ's Spirit, the Holy Spirit who Christ has merited for us. Now, by his mighty spirit, Christ is working in us and giving us power, strength, the energy we need to serve him. Notice, let's look at one more beautiful passage about strength. Turn to 2 Timothy 2, verse 1. There Paul writes, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Notice, guys, I'm used to speaking to my students apparently who are guys. Beloved, notice how here the Apostle Paul uses the word grace to talk about power, spiritual power and strength. When you define what grace is, grace involves, well, first of all, involves unmerited favor. It's something that's Totally undeserved. The strength that we see from Christ is totally undeserved by us. Christ has deserved it. Christ merited on his cross. But in the Bible, did you know that the word grace also carries the connotation of power and strength? It's the mighty strength that Christ infuses into us so that we can walk in obedience. Now, of course, that imparted strength is also a free gift deserved. But sometimes this mighty grace, mighty strength is pictured as grace. And so Paul can say, I can say this, for when I am weak, I am then strong. Isn't that something? That's a paradox. He says, when I am weak, I am strong. Isn't that amazing? Yes, when we're physically weak, still there is this power that comes from Christ that is working in our inner man. This coming weak, you need to recognize and affirm your weakness. And I need to, because the danger is that if we think we have the ability and power in ourselves, then we will try to do things in our own carnal strength. And what will be the evidence that we are affirming our weakness? We will partake. We'll recognize our need for God's strength. We'll say, God, help me. When we are weak, then we praise thee. And then God works in our lives Strengthen us so that he would get the honor. Calvin says we can endure any trial that God sends with this power that's infused into us. He says, hence we infer that Christ will not be less strong and invincible in us also if conscious of our own weakness we place reliance upon his power alone. So Christ has earned for us this grace. Christ by his righteous life has, has earned for us the grace to be empowered to live a new and holy life. Christ has paid for all of our sins. On his cross, he paid for all of our sins, and, and then by his righteous life, he earned for us this power and this strength so that we can, this week, carry out our callings for the glory of Christ. That grace is flowing to us from Christ, the exalted Christ, who is our great high priest, who interceded for us on the cross, now is our high priest, intercedes for us 
and who empowers us to live the Christian life. And that brings us to the last point. What is the result of the Christian having this personal strength in all things? Well, the answer might surprise you. What's the result of having this strength that comes from the empowering Christ? The answer is that we can be content. Content. Are you content with what you have? In this whole context, Paul is emphasizing that because of the power of Christ, we can have contentment in prison. What a rare commodity commitment to contentment is. In a society that is always telling us you need something new, you need the latest model to be happy. Have you learned the grace of Jesus? It's striking that the Holy Apostle needs to tell us that he has had to learn contentment. What does that imply? That he needed to learn it. Even the Apostle Paul, in the midst of the trials of life, he needed to learn to be content. And he says, I have learned to be content. The Israelites weren't content. They complained about the manna. They complained about the hardships of wandering in the wilderness, complained about facing enemies, and God sent them plagues and plagues. And then in the days of Samuel the prophet, they were discontent with God as their king. They wanted to have a king just like the Joneses did, just like their neighbors. So God gave them Saul. Later on, in the Bible, we find the disciples aren't content. Judas Iscariot is not content with the money he has. The disciples aren't content with the, the power and position they have, and they fight about it. Who will have power in Jesus' kingdom? No, we need to be rather content. The power of Christ enables us to be content. What an amazing wonder that is. What does it mean that we say we're content? We say, well, what I have is enough. Is that what you can say? What the Lord has given you, the money you have in your bank account right now, in your checking account, it is enough. The possessions you have, they are enough. The wife you have, she's not only enough, you're, you're thankful and grateful for her. Your children, yeah, you're grateful, you're content with the children that the Lord has given to you. Contentment is happiness. Satisfaction with what the Lord has given you in his sovereignty, even in difficult circumstances. And the Apostle Paul is saying, that's what I can do. Through Christ, I can do all things. I can be content when I'm going through hard times. I can be content and thankful when I'm going through good times. And so he tells us here in verse 10, he says, in his thank you note, he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So he's thrilled. He's happy that they sent him a gift. But he's saying, I didn't, I didn't need it absolutely. He says, I've learned to be content with the little I have. He says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. And then he goes on to qualify things. He talks about how he's so happy that he received this gift, but then he talks about that he said he really didn't 
need a gift, and he's not saying that they should send him more. In verse 17, he says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. And then he talks about how I am well supplied. He says, you've given me a gift, and it's sufficient. And notice what he's saying. I'm so glad that you gave this love gift to me, not because I needed to have it, not because I was discontent, because I am just so grateful that in the way of your generous giving, the Lord will bless you. That's why he was rejoicing. How could he rejoice like that? How could he be content like that? Our Have you learned contentment? You can be content. You see, the Lord is supreme about all things that you have. What He's given to you. Are you content with your this is the family that the Lord has given you. You can be content and say, God, thank you for all that you've given to me. And being content with what you also think that you have. You don't have to be all so concerned about trying to get something more. Or you can be at peace with the circumstances that God has ordained in your life. You're content and you're at peace. But then guess what? You also have spiritual power so that you're not just content and you're not just at peace, but you're also rejoicing in the Lord always. So let's do that. Let's live recognizing that Christ's power can be our gift both. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Christian contentment, this unique and amazing evidence of the mighty working of Christ in our lives. We thank you so much for all that you give to us, and we are so glad that you are sovereign over every circumstance in our life. All things come to us, not by chance, but by your fatherly hand, and grant us the grace to be content, the grace to persevere, the grace to be faithful and also the power to rejoice in our mighty Savior always. Hear this prayer in Jesus' name.